Good afternoon. Welcome to Thursday afternoon. I'm Brett McGarry, along with Greg Mackling. Greg, how are you, sir? I'm doing great, uh, Brett. Good afternoon to you. Good afternoon to everyone listening. We're going to change our format around due to the availability of our first guest this afternoon. Normally, we have our our fun conversation, our let loose kind of change the change the cadence conversation in this hour or half hour. We're going to do that at two o'clock. We'll talk about fidget toys and your experience with them, and maybe your kids' experience with them. Uh, have a little bit of fun with that. But we're going to get decidedly serious uh, for this first part of the program, Brett. We want to talk about something called the yellow bench and how yellow benches remind students of the power of hello. Uh, Five new benches are going to be installed during Mental Health Awareness Week this week to remind students to talk with one another about depression and suicidal thoughts. And we are here with the founder of the Yellow Bench, the Friendship Bench. His name is Sam Fiorella, and he joins us live in studio on 680 CJOB. Sam, welcome. Thank you. Good, Good Ukrainian boy. Yeah, you are. Irish. <laughs> thanks for doing this. Thanks for what you've done, and, and thanks for this initiative. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Yellow Bench? Uh, well, the the yellow is for hello campaign and the now iconic yellow bench, that's the uh, sort of symbol of our uh, campaign, is designed as a student mental health awareness effort in secondary and post-secondary schools across Canada. And it uh, was created in honor of my son or more uh, to continue my son's legacy. My son died by uh, depression and suicide two and a half years ago. And in the aftermath of his death, we learned of the number of people that he uh, reached out to uh, to, because he thought they needed a hug or a shoulder. And as it turns out, many of the people that he reached out to were at a crossroads and had decided to take their life. And so after his death, we were inundated with all of these calls and personal visits to say he just came to me one day and said hello. And no one else had done that. And I was so taken aback by it that I really, I just felt comfortable and I spilled my my guts and he encouraged me to get the help and I felt it was okay. And so uh, our co-founders, Danny Brown, Robert Clark and myself, we were sitting down talking about Lucas and what a shame it was that he's not here to keep saying hello. And that was the inspiration and what this bench is really all about. It's a call to action and a permanent visual reminder for students to say hello to each other because that one conversation can, or sorry, that one hello can start a conversation that saves a life. So you're traveling across Canada uh, with the introduction of these new benches. Uh, This week you've been to Vancouver, Edmonton, Regina. You're here in Winnipeg today. It was unveiled at Grant Park High School. Why yellow? Uh, originally it wasn't supposed to be that all the marketing people in our world were telling us, well, you can't make it bright because you don't want it to be a stigma. You know, mental health is already a stigma. And we talked to kids and the students were saying, don't make it brown. Don't make it gray, make it pink, make it yellow, make it orange, make it bright because they understand that this needs to be something that is in your face because that's what it's going to take for students today to, to, to notice it. And one kid actually said to me, we need to fight stigma with stigma. So make it bright and make it yellow. And so that's why it is. And the kids have really, really embraced it. Why would the marketing people tell you not to make it bright? Uh, Well, I think it's just conventional wisdom, right? If it's, we're talking about 14-year-olds to, you know, 19-year-olds. And, you know, listen, I remember when I was 14, I probably would have made fun of somebody sitting on a bench like that or said, oh, I'm not going to sit there. 
But things have changed in the years uh, since then. And the rationale was, if you're already feeling self-conscious and feeling different and weird, you're going to go sit on a bright yellow bench. But I think they missed the point of this. This isn't a place to go uh, to remember a lost one or to go if you need help. Although the URL on the back does direct people to available on-campus resources, the per- this bench and the entire Yellow is for Hello campaign is really more a call to action to encourage people to speak to each other. Take a minute out of your day. We encourage kids to eat their lunch, avoid math class, listen to music, like whatever you would normally do on a bench. Just do it with a friend. You know, just it doesn't have to be about mental health. But we're finding that just the, the, the presence of it is encouraging those conversations amongst their other conversations. Is it as much a 3D billboard as anything else? You know what? That's I've never heard it put that way. That's a great way. I'm going to steal that if you don't mind. Uh, not at all. Uh, all yeah, that's exactly what it is, actually. It's exactly what it is. And the, the peer-to-peer is really, uh, I think, what we need to focus on here. And I'll be honest with you, this wasn't the intention when we started this. But what we're finding from students is, well, we already know that no kid wants to feel weird or different. Right? As adults, we don't want that. Can you imagine, you know, as teenagers, we certainly don't want that. And so mental health has been associated with being different and weird. And one of the reasons why nobody speaks about it. And then there's the fact that they don't want to listen. That's the other thing that I've learned afterwards. They don't want to listen to parents. They don't want to be lectured to. They don't believe we get their generation, right? Like any generation. But today, I think there's such a delta between this digitally connected world and the way our kids are growing up today and the way we were different from our parents. So those things together, what we're finding is that when students talk to other students about mental health and they crowdsource their, their knowledge and their information, they're given the permission to then speak to an adult. But it can't come from the top down, I'm learning, which is why suicide rates and the, the rates of mental health concerns are rising because we're forcing something upon them that just doesn't fit their paradigm. But by allowing them to open up to each other, it's giving them the courage to then speak up. 13 Reasons Why. Oh, worst show ever and the best show ever. Um, I believe that uh, it's overly graphic. It doesn't it didn't need to be as graphic as it is to get the point across. But then again, uh, with our kids today, they need a little bit of that shock value. Like I said, the kids wanted it to be bright neon. We toned it down. We didn't make it neon yellow, but we made it a bright yellow. They want this in your face. That's what's getting into their heads. For me, this is a great program in that it's starting a conversation that most parents, most religions, most schools, most cultures will not talk about. And it's forcing the issue to the forefront. What that show depicts, the state of mind of a teenage girl, is what one in five kids right now are going through. And by ignoring it and by burying it and by not talking about it, what happens? They go online. We forget that they've got all of this information and void of our guidance. They go into the void of the internet where the crowdsource or the uh, the wisdom of crowds is a bunch of 14-year-old trolls, right? And so my my concern with the show is really uh, a criticism of Netflix and that I don't have a problem with them putting so graphic and real, but they should have inserted some 
disclaimers or some maybe across the bottom if you are feeling depressed or if you are thinking of hurting yourself, call this number or visit this site because they are triggering things. So my advice to parents with this show has always been watch it with your kids and let it start a conversation. Ask, have you ever felt that way? Does any of this resonate with you? Do you have any friends that have felt this way? You never know that that, and in fact, I do know because people have reached out to me. I wrote a blog post on this recently and some parents have taken my advice and they've done that and they've discovered that their kids have in fact considered hurting themselves. And it was this show and the conversation of them watching it together that might have saved their life. So that's why I say it's the, it's, it's a great thing. It just, maybe the execution wasn't as good as it could have been. Sam Fiorella is the founder of the Friendship Bench. Today, a new yellow friendship bench has gone up outside of Grant Park High School. And we're going to continue our conversation with Sam in a moment. Your forecast is coming up next. I'm Brett. He's Greg. Sam Fiorella is our guest. He is the founder of the Friendship Bench Initiative. He is traveling across the country. He's been to Vancouver, Edmonton, Regina. He's in Winnipeg today and St. John's, Newfoundland tomorrow to introduce five new of these yellow friendship benches and it's being done this week specifically mental health awareness week to remind students to talk with one another about depression and suicidal thoughts uh sam first of all uh sort of a twofold question here how did grant park end up being the school what was the process for that uh well when we decided to do this tour uh, across canada typically schools reach out to us and they ask i want a bench and then we work on finding the, you know, the, the, the resources to do that. But we did some corporate fundraising and some personal financing, and we said we're going to do this because we want to really get the word out there and talk to as many kids as possible this week. And so we reached out to the community, and I put the call out. Guys, we want to be in these cities um, on these days, nominate a school. And uh, one of your very own, uh, Susie Parker, said, I know. And she put her hand up and she nominated uh, this uh, district and put me through in touch with a couple of schools. And Grant Park uh, was the one that embraced it wholeheartedly. And was the bench outside the school or? No, the bench actually is inside. Uh, I love what they're doing. Uh, The bench can go inside or outside. It's made for Canadian climates, uh, UV protected, great for snow uh, because of where we are. But they've decided to put it inside right outside of a really cool building called their Wellness Centre. And they're making it very bright. They're putting a blue wall, uh, clouds on the sky. They're really making it a place for kids to want to hang out. I want to give a shout out to Susan Anderson at uh, Grant Park, the principal over there. She uh, was my teacher in grade nine, her first year of teaching. And uh, she doesn't know what an inspiration she's been to me all these years. So to know that she was associated with this project is very heartwarming for me. The the statistic, you cited the statistic in our first segment, but maybe reiterate for folks that might be just tuning in how many teenagers have have suicidal thoughts in a a one-year period. Well, um, there's, there's slightly conflicting stats on this, but in general, we do know that one in five Canadians suffer with a mental health concern uh, at some point in their life. We also know that 50% of the kids who suffer from depression never speak about it. My son was one of them, and as it turns out, those are the ones that we lose. Um, And uh, we also know that suicide is the second leading cause of death uh, amongst our teens between the ages of 15 and 24 in Canada. 
Uh, so it really is becoming an epidemic. You say that uh, your son would reach out to those who were suffering by reaching, just simply saying hello, but he suffered in silence. If someone is suffering in silence, how are we to know that they need help? Huh, that's a great question. And this is why we do what we do. Um, the bench and this campaign is as much, if not more, for the people who aren't suffering with depression as it is for those who are. Because we, by saying hello and opening up the conversation and making it okay for those who do suffer to speak up, they will come out. Uh, many of the students that I talk to, well, let me go backwards a little bit and say, once we've put a bench in a school and the yellow is for hello campaign is running in the school, uh, we're hearing uh, reports of 18% on average increases in the number of kids asking for help, uh, which is huge. And when asked why, you know, are you coming to us now after, you know, some of these kids are in grade 11 and grade 12, why are you just now coming to us as counselors? They're saying, because I now feel that it's okay. So this is why... Uh, we really think that it isn't necessarily about pushing information on them, but just allowing them to have this conversation and making it okay. The website is, of course, www.yellowisforhello.org. You can also visit the Friendship Bench. Pardon me, all one word, the Friendship is there a D in there? Yes. Is that, okay, there's just a typo there. So the D does belong, uh, thefriendshipbench.org, if you'd like to learn more about this. And so what is the goal? Will that bench be at Grant Park forevermore? Will it leave? No, uh, this was, uh, we donated it to, to them. Uh, it is theirs forever and ever, and with our hopes that it will inspire hellos and conversations uh, for all their students. And a bigger picture is we would definitely like to have uh, a bench in every secondary and post-secondary uh, school in this province. How many are there in existence right now across the country? Uh, we're over 30 now. We will be at 50 by the end of this year if our plans are go to go to plan. So I'm just looking at Instagram here. I see there's 440 uh, public posts uh, with the hashtag yellow is for hello. And it's it's funny that you know, you describe the bright bench, but now that I see it mm-hmm. with my own eyes, it's it really is. I like the, the fact that you've gone with this bright color uh, because it's to me, it's warm and inviting. Yeah. And, and that's, you know what, that's what everybody says. It just makes them feel happy because especially most schools are very institutional. They're very gray, brick, concrete walls. And so it really does stand out and it makes a statement. And what a lot of schools are doing is they're actually doing annual art installations behind the bench or around the bench and encouraging students to interpret saying hello or interpret peer-to-peer communications or mental health issues in some form of uh, multimedia. And so it continuously acts as a conversation starter. You mentioned earlier uh, something about how the these young people want to crowdsource everything. Can you maybe elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. Um, and this is a, a difficult thing for my generation to get out. You know, I actually have a real job, and that is I've been in marketing my entire life. And so I've dealt with the Internet. For me, it's a little bit easier to get, but for most people my age, it isn't. And what... The millennial generation, the way they've grown up is they've grown up online. They've grown up connected. They value the opinions of their peers online. And this wisdom of crowds effect is very important to them. Uh, uh, They no longer trust authority. 
they trust that wisdom of crowds. They trust what their peers are saying. And so that's just a paradigm shift in the way that this next generation is thinking. And we as educators and as parents need to adapt to that and allow them to basically build that confidence and education amongst themselves. That's a double-edged sword, though, isn't it? Because if they're trusting in the positivity that can be generated through discussions like this in a crowdsourced sort of fashion, that means they're also hearing the negative messages that come from multiple messages from multiple people about negative things. And thus the rise of online trolling. Um, one, and, and this is my problem with parenting today. You know, we are so... Uh, uh, I guess, protective, and we're helicopter parenting our kids, and we're there with them, and we choose their schools, and we look at their homework, and we go to, you know, even when they're 18, we're going to parent-teacher interviews still, yet we let them on the internet without any supervision. You know, we give them social media without any supervision. It's infuriating to me. My, I let, I, my daughter knows that I have her passwords, and if, if, I can, if there's a point that I can't get into her accounts, I take away all of her toys. Because there's no way that I'm going to let them go. And my son was the same thing until he was 17. And you need to understand that this information is out there. We cannot take it back. We cannot close down the internet. And if we take away their phones, they'll get it at the library. They'll get it at school. But we need to be there giving them the guidance while they're doing that. When you look back, were there some signals that you missed from your son along the way? And were there things that you came across that were maybe... You know, if, 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 if. Mm. This, is the, this is the thing about suicide survivors, especially parents who lose their children. Uh, it's not just the fact that you've lost your child. It's the trauma that you go through, but then also the never-ending guilt of what could I have done, what should I have done, what should I have seen. The one thing that I've learned through some wonderful people in my uh, support group uh, is that People who suffer from depression have become experts at hiding it. The most famous example I think we all know is Robin Williams. You know, how could somebody who was so happy and so funny and had everything going for him, how could somebody like that be suffering? Lucas was like that. And again, until 17, I had access to his text messages and his social media, so I knew what he was saying, and he, none of his friends knew. His, his girlfriend, for many years, didn't know. Nobody knew. It was something that he really struggled with, but he tried to turn it into a positive thing and reaching out. So, no, um, other than being a typical teenage moody boy, there was nothing. Well, I'm going to have a, an extra cold beverage in honor of your, your son over the weekend, if that's okay with you. He would have enjoyed that. Sam Fiorella is founder of the Friendship Bench. They have just introduced a new friendship bench, a yellow bench at Grant Park High School today and Sam is on his way to St. John's Newfoundland tomorrow to visit Gonzaga High School. These benches being installed this week during Mental Health Awareness Week to remind students to talk with one another about depression and suicidal thoughts. The website, you can go to yellowisforhello.org thefriendshipbench.org and the hashtag on social media yellow is for hello. Global News at 1.30 is up next. 1.34, Greg and Brett with you through until four o'clock at which time julie and richard come in actually they sneak in here a little bit early don't they brett mcgarry they get a little bit of time with us and then they take a couple minutes of our last hour but that's okay we're we're sharing people sharing is caring after all well we we also take some of jeff courier's time that is true that is true bah, it's give and take world <laughs>
<laughs> hey, um, food banks are increasing their focus on nutrition. And let's face it, as much as we would like to see uh, food banks not be a part of the landscape in our communities, the plain and simple fact is that they are. But that means maybe the way they do things might have to change a little bit. And this is an initiative that we're going to discuss in this next half hour that's looking to do exactly that. Food banks across Canada, including Winnipeg Harvest, have increased their focus on nutrition over the last five years from offering healthier food options to educating users on how to get the biggest health benefit from the foods they consume. So we have with us in studio a top Winnipeg chef and dietitian who are contributing to a Healthy Meals cookbook in support of food banks. Timothy Palmer, who is the executive sous chef of the Fairmont Winnipeg, and Madeline Morish, who is a Winnipeg-based dietitian. Welcome to 680 CJOB. Thanks so much for having us. So, Madeline, why don't we start with you? Uh, you've come together to to help create. So you, you're participants in this uh, nutritious and budget-friendly uh, cookbook called Out of the Box Healthy Family Pasta Meals on a Budget. So I guess uh, what's your involvement in this? Yes. So Catelli approached me to select three, you know, budget-friendly healthy ingredients that Chef Palmer would put and whip into a delicious recipe. And so I... You know, I selected um, evaporated milk as one of my ingredients, uh, broccoli, and canned light tuna, um, just because they're three very nutritious ingredients that are from three of the four food groups. And that's what all you need to really make a balanced meal. So that in addition to Catelli pasta. So yeah. it was evaporated milk, uh, sorry, broccoli, was it? Yes. And, uh, and canned light tuna. That is correct. So, and I guess the idea is that some of this is low budget, right? Absolutely. Because, yeah. because and it also keeps for a long time. Absolutely. Right. It's something you can have in your pantry, and oh, dinner has to come up. There you have it. Right. Right. So, this recipe then that you have concocted, uh, Chef Palmer, tell us about it. Uh, well, the the recipe that we have put together, it's it's uh, uh, it's not only just extremely flavorful; it's it's packed with uh, lots of protein. It's very nutritionally balanced. Um, green vegetables, uh, broccoli, um, and and with cheese again. You have the dairy, extra protein in there. It, it really it, it sustains. It's filling, um, and it has lots of good uh, good fats as well that are great for you know, younger children's uh, you know, brain development and and keeps them nourished and, and and focused for the day as well. Is this one of the underestimated things about nutrition? Uh, maybe Madeline, you can answer this. Uh, the idea of the role that nutrition plays in other types of development, like brain development, our ability to learn, to focus, to concentrate, especially for younger kids that are in school. Absolutely. So nutrition plays a huge role in you know maintaining our focus, and I think it's something that now is getting a little bit more highlighted. But even things like skipping breakfast, as an example, is you know, once we do that or if we're not fueling our bodies with nutritious foods from, you know, all the four food groups, as I was mentioning before, um, then we're not going to have a lot of, you know, fuel to go about our day and to really focus. It sounds like a simplistic question and a simplistic theory, but it, it, it's genuine fact. Like there's there's no wiggle room on, on this notion, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of families, you know, it, we all think that new like having a healthy meal is very complicated and that it takes time and work. And I think it's, you know, promoting good education on what is a balanced meal. It is, you know, three out of four food groups. 
Well, now, Chef Palmer, this cookbook meant to provide nutritious and low-cost meals, and I, I like that element because a lot of times these days, I think, and maybe you can correct me on this, but I think nutritious doesn't always mean low-cost. You know, sometimes I walk through the grocery aisles and I look at healthy things and I end up gravitating towards maybe not-so-healthy things because they're cheaper. Uh, yes, of course. I mean... Uh, Less expensive. I mean, they're, they're less expensive ingredients. It takes a little ingenuity and a, a little bit of knowledge of how you're, you're going to put it together. Um, and, and you really have to stay focused. I think a, a lot of it is we're, we're creating it and cooking it from scratch. And I think that's extremely important. Um, w- one of the biggest things is, is the less expensive items are also usually the most convenient items. Um, easy to crack open, eat, instant gratification, and then 30 minutes later you crash. Uh, you know, a lot of uh, saturated fats or high in sugar, and then uh, it really does nothing for you. It satisfies you for the moment and then just leaves you empty for the rest of the day. And I think, you know, with these recipes, it's it's great to uh, really see, um, you know, the nutritional balance for you as well as, as it's less expensive. But it just shows you how truly simple it is to make something that's nutritional, not as expensive as it, it, as it needs to be or has been. Chef, the idea of the different ways that you prepare food may actually suck the life or the nutrition out of them. Is that fact or fallacy? Well, I mean, microwaving vegetables is, is generally, uh, you know, it's going to, you know, overcook them. They cook them in, in, in not completely or um, doing things simple. And, you know, basically I, I always say I just do the same way my grandma showed me. You know, you blanch something, uh, you, you cook it, you shock it to preserve its its colors and its nutritional balance and availability there. Um, and, you know, the food has really good, uh, you know, it has goodness for you. And, you know, if it's, if it's easier and quicker, uh, generally maybe it's not always the best way. Well, one of the things that jumped out at me about this, Madeline, is there is a line in here, <clears throat> pardon me, getting the biggest health benefit from the foods people consume. So does that mean that uh, we might be eating things, but there are healthier ways to eat that food or ways that you might not have thought of that are far healthier? Uh, in terms of like preparation? Yeah, like, sure. I guess so. Yeah. So uh, really it is like as Chef Palmer was, you know, pointed out, is really cooking at home things that are less processed. As, as long as we're going like away from that, that's really how we get nutritious foods. Um, and how you know, in terms of preparation, like there are different cooking methods where, um, you know, when I think of vegetables too, like boiling them in water, you know, maybe a better way might be to steam them um, so that you really retain a lot of the nutritional value in that as well. Well, you but. mentioned microwave vegetables. So when you say that specifically, are you talking about frozen vegetables? It could be any type. I mean, it, 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 the microwave will just, just leaches the, you know, zaps it literally out of it. Um, you know, and, and yes, frozen vegetables are, are have a, a place. Um, um, well, let's say I have a bag of frozen vegetables and I, I'm, I might want to normally t- throw it in the microwave. What would, the, what would be an alternate way that you might suggest to prepare that? I will have them defrosted and, and exactly that, steam them. Just lightly steam them. You know, they're, they're, they're basically cooked already. They just need to be warmed. Um, and the great thing, in an, in an example for a frozen vegetable, um, is they're picked and processed at the peak of their quality. Um, so whether it's fresh isn't available, uh, frozen is the great next best thing. Um, you know, if, if you don't have the others available, and if it's outside of your price, uh, 
price range as well. Yeah, food is getting expensive. The, the, that, that's a big concern for a lot of people. And a, a lot of the reason, I think some people suggest that they have a difficult time eating healthy. You mentioned it, Brett, sometimes the less healthy option because it's not real food. Let's be honest about it. Uh, it's synthetic in a lot of cases. Uh, means it's going to be less expensive because it's got a long shelf life. It can be manufactured in mass, etc. But some of the neat ways that you can uh, make sure you're not throwing out, I've seen surveys that say we throw out as much as 30% of all the food that we buy in Canada. And a lot of that ends up being what's very expensive and precious fruits and vegetables. And I just noticed on this list of suggestions, this is one thing that we do to to eat a little bit healthier in my house are the peppers. We'll buy the six, uh, the bag of six peppers from Costco, but right away we'll cut them up into, you know, into strips, into those slivers, right? And they're always available. And so it's really easy to just throw them and add them on to every little meal as a little bit of a pile. Or if you're hungry to to have a couple of peppers, nothing better than an orange pepper to spice things up. But little little tricks like that go a long way. Absolutely. You're making the healthy choice the more convenient choice because now they're all cut up. And now that when you need a snack, oh, we have peppers available. And that happens a lot with food waste when we don't really have that planning aspect um, if we, you know, go to the grocery store, we're picking up, yeah, fresh, you know, vegetables and we're trying to eat healthier. If we're just sticking it in the crisper and we're forgetting about it and we're not taking the time to actually prep and prepare them, well, that's why we're going to have some food waste. So it does take a little bit of thinking and just that extra step, as you were saying. So In studio with us, we have Madeline Morish. She is Morish, pardon me, a Winnipeg-based dietitian, and Timothy Palmer, who is the executive sous chef of the Fairmont Winnipeg. They they have made a contribution to a Healthy Meals cookbook in support of food banks in partnership with Catelli. And when we return after your forecast, I want to ask our guests a little bit about their background, and then we'll get some health tips and suggestions on nutritious food. It's Macklin McGarry, your forecast up next. The cookbook is called Out of the Box Healthy Family Pasta Meals on a Budget. And this is something that is an in- initiative from Catelli, uh, working with food banks across Canada, including Winnipeg Harvest, to create a cookbook that is nutritious and affordable, low budget. So we have in studio with us a couple of people who have made contributions to this cookbook. Madeline Morish, who is a Winnipeg-based dietitian, and Timothy Palmer, who is the executive chef at the Fairmont Winnipeg. I had previously said sous chef, but I learned just now that he is in fact the executive chef. So Chef Palmer, why don't we start with you? Uh, because we haven't actually learned about you two yet uh, in terms of what you do. You've been a chef now for how long? Uh, the better part of 18 years. And uh, what got you into being a uh, chef? I, I love eating. Uh, <laughs> 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 I think we could all say that's the best start. Um, I, 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 I kind of uh, really into it. You know, I love cooking with my grandmother and my mother. Um, Sunday meals were a very important part. Um, of of our family, so I think it's it was something that was I was very fortunate to have, uh, you know, a little bit of knowledge and a little bit of passion passed down from uh, uh, both my grandmother and my mom, um, and uh, you know I've had a great opportunity to travel around the world uh, cooking, um, you know, and uh, finally making it back home here to Winnipeg. Okay, now you can't say something like traveling around the world cooking. You got to give us an example of a stop or two along the way. 
Uh, well, I started my career and and it, uh, and my apprenticeship in Jasper at the Fairmont Jasper Park Lodge. Uh, from there, uh, you know, finished my apprenticeship and uh, moved to uh, far north Queensland, Australia. Uh, from Australia, we lived in uh, Bermuda. It uh, worked at the Southampton Princess there, Jeez. and then uh, from there back to Canada, moved to Toronto at the uh, Royal York as the chef de cuisine of Epic, and then uh, now, fortunately, moved back to Winnipeg uh, with my family and my uh, amazing six-year-old son, Jackson. Oh, just a boring tour of duty there. <laughs> <laughs> How about you, Madeline? What was your inspiration to spread the the news and 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 to become a dietitian? Um, well. Really, my passion for it came from preventative care. Um, I was hearing a lot about, you know, like, oh, I was just interested in nutrition, right? And I love food. So uh, I decided to go into um, human nutritional sciences. I completed my university degree at the University of Manitoba. Um, And really, I just wanted to learn more about, okay, how can I really fuel my body? Um, What, you know, vitamins, minerals do I need to really live a long and healthy life? So that's really what it stemmed from and really helping to you know, help people in the community. So we've got some health tips here that uh, the news release sort of teeing up this book highlights. So why don't we go through this? So we'll start with you, Madeline. The first one is team up and cook as a family. Why is that important? Well, it's really, really important to team up as a family because, first of all, then we're all in the kitchen to, you know, sharing the experience of learning how to cook, especially if you have young children. It gets them familiar with that skill because it is a life skill that they can take on with them. Um, And typically, you know, research is showing, too, that if we eat, you know, and plan meals at home all together, um, then we're going to be eating more healthy. Chef, and that also helps with the whole idea of uh, the kids showing up at the table and going, what are we having tonight? Oh, I don't like that. That takes all of that completely out of it because they're involved in the process, either of planning and or cooking. Exactly. And they get the, the buy-in. I mean, they, it's it's something that's, you know, it's you instill it in them when, the, when they're young. And, you know, my son absolutely loves uh, to help out cooking uh, a plethora of different foods. And uh, it's, to me, it's a sense of accomplishment when you when they sit down, you can go out to someone else's house and they'll sit down and eat everything that's in front of them because it's, you know, they like food. That's a good thing. That is a good thing. We talked a little bit about putting uh, nutritious food choices at the front of the fridge, cutting them up. Uh, hard-boiled eggs is another example on this list. I mentioned peppers. Any other yes. examples you could give us, Madeline? Um, as like quick kind of go-tos. Um, any Actually, if you batch cook any meal, so having planned extras I find is a great idea in terms of, you know, for example, if you're making a um, creamy tuna casserole, that's like in Catelli's cookbook that um, we developed, um, that recipe, um, you can make that, you know, the large dish and then, you know, in, um, you know, meal size containers, section off those, those, that meal. And so it's a quick grab and go for you to take to lunch, uh, et cetera. Um, but yeah, boiled eggs is a great one. They actually last in the shell for up to five days. So if you find that you need a quick protein in the morning um, and you have more time on Sunday, make a big batch and then have that throughout the week. Um, herbs and spices is another one. I think that's maybe the underestimated one is using different herbs and spices to change the flavor of the exact same ingredients that you might uh, cook with because I know I'm guilty of using the same herbs and spices with my chicken, with my steak, with my salmon. And so uh, you can really change the, the taste of the of the same uh 
core of your meal by using different spices. Exactly. You can do, I mean, you can make it any sort of uh, culturally influenced dish that you like. Uh, experiment, have fun with it. Uh, I personally like having fresh chopped herbs. Uh, I do them up again on, in batches at the, the beginning of the week. They're there. Uh, they're great in salads throughout uh, uh, just with fresh, some fresh pasta. The great thing about them as well is you can, you can grow your own uh, just in the window, just outside. And that's amazing because it doesn't cost any money. And Madeline, as far as herbs and spices go, I've heard it before that, uh, for example, you, you're better off from a nutrition standpoint to use herbs and spices as opposed to actual or to liquid dressings. Um, correct? Uh, I'd say you're generally correct with that, uh, just because you're not getting any added sugar that might be with those liquid sauces, um, added salt as well. You're really reducing on salt once you add more herbs and spices. Um, yeah. Chef, I got to ask you a food safe question here. I'll uh, do some of that batch cooking, right? I'll do up, uh, well, my mother in law will make uh, meatballs and she'll do like 200 of them at a time, right? And like five batches in the oven. Well, then I, I never know what the safe thing to do in terms of putting them in the fridge or freezer. Do I have to let them cool down? Do I put them in the Ziploc bag right away and then freeze them? How do I handle that? What's the, what's the best way to go from hot to cold if you're planning on putting a lasagna, meatballs, or chicken from the oven, but you want to store it long term? Well, the most important thing is you drop that temperature. Uh, you know, it has to get down uh, – you know, out of the danger zone, which is, you know, 40 to 140 uh, or 4 to 60 degrees centigrate. Um, but the most important is, obviously, like you said, is to drop that temperature down. Um, let it cool down out of the oven. Uh, give you some time. Um, spread it out thinner if you can uh, so it can expose its, its energy and, and, you know, cool down a bit uh, quicker. Um, but you want to be cautious about putting all that hot food. You don't want to put it all straight away right into the fridge. It's going to raise the entire temperature of your fridge up, and then everything else inside your fridge could spoil as well. So you just really need to, you know, bring it down um, as quickly as you can outside. If they're liquid or if like your meatball example, put them into the bags out of the oven, um, zip them up, uh, and put them in a cold water bath. Maybe just fill up your sink, you know, maybe a couple ice cubes in there, um, and just drop that temperature down as quickly as possible. And uh, then you can lay them out into your freezer nice and flat so they can store a lot easier. Um, and, uh, you know, make sure that they're, they're frozen. Um, and then pull them out one at a time. Don't uh, you know? You also want to think ahead as well. So when you pull it out of the freezer, if that's the way you're doing it, um, you know, make sure they defrost naturally in the fridge. You don't want to rush it. Uh, so Great eat. advice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. The cookbook is called Out of the Box: Healthy Family Pasta Meals on a Budget. It's being launched as part of a campaign called Help Us Feed the Hope, which is an initiative by Catelli Foods in support of Canada's food banks, including Winnipeg Harvest. And having made a contribution to this are Timothy Palmer, executive chef of the Fairmont Winnipeg, and Madeline Morish, Winnipeg-based dietitian. They teamed up for a recipe, creamy tuna broccoli pasta bake. Thank you so much for joining us. The co uh, cookbook, by the way, is available at catelli.ca. It's free? Is that what yes. I heard? It's absolutely yes. free. All right. Thanks a lot for joining us today. It was a pleasure to meet the both of you. You as well. Thank you. Global yeah. News Thanks. at 2 o'clock is up next. I never really thought it was a problem. I'd always suspected those around me had seen my incessant pen clicking, knee shaking, and desk tapping. But I had no idea how bad it had gotten. I just fidgeted all the time with anything I could get my hands on. 
It's a little bit of a tongue-in-cheek video, self-help video about fidgeting. That's actually one of the guys behind something called the Fidget Cube. His name is Mark McLaughlin. And that we're going to talk about fidgeting. That was their Kickstarter uh, video, right? Uh, was I, Or I'm was not, it the follow-up to the Kickstarter? It was one of the videos that they've produced along the way. This, they, these, these guys were looking for $15,000 on yeah. Kickstarter to yeah. make this thing called the Fidget did Cube. They, did they get it? They got $6 million. <laughs> it was one of the, it's one of the most successful Kickstarter campaigns ever. And it's so successful to the point that they, they're having an almost impossible time of keeping up with the number of orders that have been made because it's just this it's this sensational little fidget toy that's already had a whole bunch of knockoff clones of it i think i can walk down the the block in the mall and go into there's a store near the end of the the north south side of the polo park that i think sells a cloned version of it not certain on that but i think so well and the difference between say gofundme and kickstarter is that when you are a kickstarter um you're an investor, right? Mm. So the expectation is that you're pre-ordering one of these devices, whatever it might be that people are kickstarting, and that you will actually, you'll get one at some point. And so that has been the concern that this particular device, this fidget cube, has been so successful, they're having problems fulfilling the orders for all those people that paid up front, essentially. Mm-hmm. And so it got us to thinking about fidget cubes, fidget toys. Uh, we mentioned that Jeff Courier has one that he just kind of a, a cush ball or something that he squeezes a little bit. To, yeah, it's like his little rubber egg or something. Yeah, it just uh, helps him for whatever reason, to concentrate and to to keep them focused. And I was talking to you about the fact that in my boys' classroom, there's a whole bucket full of these things for the kids to choose from. I'm thinking... While they're sitting at their desk? Yeah, and like, isn't that going to end up being distracting at some point? But no, apparently it really helps some kids focus when they're trying to do their work. And I guess my equivalent back in the day was one of two things. Mm Mm-hmm. One is doodling, yep, and the other is probably one that we shared, and that was gnawing on the lid of your big <laughs> pen. And you had a pretty funny story about that. Yeah, and maybe this was the precursor for my eventual smoking addiction was the fact that even <laughs> even in high school, I was always uh, chewing on on my pen or whatever. Oral fixation? Yeah, I guess so, if you want to get Freudian on it. But uh, so in this particular case, I just had the cap. It was a blue cap, the Bic pen. This would have been, I believe, in, I want to say in grade 12 math in Madame Grimard's class. And I'm sitting on the, the left side of the classroom at Collège Pierre Elliott Trudeau. Not that you know what that particular class looks like, but just imagine any classroom. You're on the left side. And I'm just kind of kind of leaning back. And I'm, I've got this pen cap just sort of sitting kind of on the edge of my tongue. And I lean back as I happen to take a breath, and down the chute it goes. So I immediately jerk forward. I've got my sort of hand to my throat, and my knee, my eyeballs are popping out of my face. Like, but I can still breathe. And my classmate Jamie Thompson says, "Did you just swallow your pen cap?" And I said, "Yes." How can you still breathe? 
Because because it's got the hole on the end of it. <laughs> we should be laughing, but that that's the part of the point of the story is the fact that you know you talk about things that are designed to protect us from ourselves. Yeah. That the designers and the manufacturers of these pens all know that this is a choking hazard, and a bunch of us are moronic enough to a <laughs> chew on the pen lid, and then b a certain percentage of us are going to eventually inhale it and ingest it, and there has to be a mechanism in place in order for you to breathe while it's lodged in your windpipe. So that was one part of the conversation, but the other part then kind of got back to this whole idea of fidget toys, and you even have fidget toys lying around your apartment. I do. I have. It started when I was a teenager. I was watching a film. I can't be certain, but I, I believe it was a film called Rising Sun, which, if memory serves, starred Sean Connery and Wesley Snipes. But that's I'm, I'm, that, that could be wrong. Sounds right. But so in that there is a scene where the guy there was a guy who was playing with I I believe they're called bowding balls. I had to look this up after I awkwardly uh, described them on Jeff Courier's show. But I mean, for lack of a better description, they're the they're a pair of metal balls that you you. You just kind of spin them around in your hand. They're like, uh, they, they've been referred to, I think, as meditation balls, medicine balls, therapy balls. But they're just, they, they, they make, uh, they, they kind of have some musical sounds to them. And they, so they're relaxing for their sound and just for the fact that it keeps my hand busy while I'm watching TV or whatever. And over the years, I've just received an assortment of silly little gifts like a slinky or I've got these other toys where it's like, uh, for a lot, it's... The best way I know how to describe it is like Hungry Hippo underwater. It's this little thing where I have to push a button, it fires the balls up, and then this hippo, you got to try to get the hippo to eat them all. I have five or six of these toys at home, and my friends came over when I first moved into my apartment, and I had all these things lying around. And they say, you sure have a lot of toys for a man in his late 30s. But sure enough, by the end of the night, everybody was playing with the toys, and now whenever my friends come over, they all... Go for their own favorite toy. Well, it all seems a little bit counterintuitive, right? Mm -hmm. Is to give you something to play with in order for you to concentrate better. But these things genuinely seem to work. There's something that uh, there's this uh, there's controversy over this one now, the spinning fidget toy. Ooh. And some people are wondering, okay, maybe we've crossed the line with this spinning fidget toy because uh, that has to be a distraction, but there's a lot of kids out there that swear by these different fidget toys, and right at the top of the list right now, I think ahead of the fidget cube is this spinning fidget toy, and by the way, you're absolutely correct, Rising Sun 1993, director <laughs> Philip Kaufman, writer's Mike, Michael Crichton, F uh, Philip Kaufman uh, translated the screenplay, Sean Connery, Wesley Snipes, and uh, Harvey Cart. Uh, Kaitel nice in that movie as well. Oh, and we're just getting a couple of text messages here at 204-780-6868. One says, sorry guys, these items are being banned by teachers in junior and high schools across Winnipeg. And another text says, oh, it's the same guy or, 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 or girl. This could be, we, we don't want to assume, right? Remember That's right. Our, our listener, not a dude who gave us the Slurpee gift card. Thank you, by the way, not a dude. So is that one of the spinning ones? Cause I know these are the ones that are really causing problems in the schools right now is this spinning uh, fidget toy. But uh, in my, in my boys uh, classroom, there are a variety of different uh, fidget toys at their disposal. There's a different couple of different chairs that they can sit in. Uh, my Alexander, bless his heart, he's he's a fidgeter. 
and he has a real issue sometimes with staying focused and he'll he'll fidget with some stuff and just when you think he's a prime example of this as you think he's paying more attention to whatever else it is that he's doing when he's in a lecture or we're talking or he's watching a movie and then you quiz him on the material and he's got it down cold. Yeah. So he could just, he digests and processes things just a little bit differently in his brain. And uh, these are one of the things that people are doing. And uh, one of the tools that are, are being uh, given to our kids to, to, to work a little bit differently. Cause let's face it, our brains don't all work exactly the same. Be interested to hear from you. What are your fidget toys? What are the things you remember and your kids and also about these, uh, fidget toys that are being banned and confiscated. Uh, let us know two zero four seven eight zero six eight six eight by talk or text. Would love to hear your voice on the other end of our phone. Two zero four seven eight zero sixty eight sixty eight is the number to call. Do you have a favorite fidget toy? For me, probably even though I, I do like those uh, the the Chinese medicine balls or whatever they're called, bowding balls. I like those. I end up ten, I gravitate towards the slinky. I kind of end up treating it like a yo yo almost, where I sort of drop it, not almost to the floor, but not quite, and then bring it back up. So it's like an accordion almost. As it's with my, just beside as I'm watching TV because, and it also, I think distracts me from my phone. It keeps me focused on what I'm trying to watch and away from my phone. 204-780-6868. Do you fidget? Do you have a fidget toy? Maybe it's just a clicky pen like this. I have a really hard time resisting the urge. Uh, clicky pens are, just click uh, away. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm seeing... Headlines that are as new as from yesterday in mm-hmm. the last 24 hours. Fidget spinners, the new classroom craze being banned across the nation. This from the Telegraph, and I know you've got one there as well. We'll talk about that when we come back. It is time for your forecast in just a moment on 680 CJOB. Greg Mackling, Brett McGarry with you. Uh, we're sharing off the air our stories of disassembling the big pen. Not only did you have the cap, but you had the little Small little cap thing at the end that you would incessantly pick at. Those little blue nubs are black. Yeah, the nubs. Oh, look at this one has it too. And now I can disassemble the pen. (laughs) We were talking about this because Dan sent us a text that says, I disassemble and reassemble pens. And of course, you can't say the word disassemble without thinking about this. Disassemble. Dead. Disassemble. Dead. Johnny Five from Short Circuit. Dan, thank you for that. And hey, that's that, that brought back a flood of memories when you sent that text because I, I don't think I've ever owned a big pen that I have not taken apart and put back together a thousand times. Uh, Kristen says, nanoblocks. They are like tiny Legos. Either that or solitaire. Can't watch TV without something to fidget or I fall asleep. So does that mean, Kristen, that while you're watching TV, you're also playing Solitaire? Sounds like she is. I used to try this from another texter. I used to try and spin a pen between each of my fingers back and forth. There wasn't any fidget toys when I was school, and I'm only 30 years old. One of the things that I used to like to do, with again, with the the Bix or any pen with uh, uh, the cap, where it has that thing, like the the little nub that you can slide into your shirt pocket or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You bend that that part of it out at a ninety degree angle. Yes, it's, it's tricky though because you can Without break it. it. Yeah, yes. so you got to work at it gently. But once you get it, once you work at it enough, then it, you can use that to spin the pen around. 
My, I don't know if that makes sense, and I'm hoping I'm explaining it. So it's like one of those more fancy, quote-unquote, fancy pens that, that people might give away with the, with the click top, right? And then no, 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 just a normal Bic. It'll work on a normal Bic. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I guess it would. Yeah, yeah. I could do it with this Papermate right now. Yeah, so it's got that, that little... Uh, Tab thing that keeps it in your pocket, right? Yeah, and you just spin that out 90 degrees, and then you can use that to spin it back and forth, and you... Oh, God, I'm glad I never sat beside you in school. <laughs> Bad enough, I sit beside you at work, or actually, you're just behind me. But oh, dude, I never would have got any work done with you around. What is your favorite fidget toy? 204 780 6868. We're talking about fidget toys because of these. There's the fidget cube, there's now the fidget spinner, mm-hmm. and this is a new craze that is being banned by schools. We have had our listeners confirm this, and it's uh, well, it's it's being described by the this is the Birmingham Mail. Across the pond, they say a new craze is hitting the office and school playgrounds called the fidget spinner. So-called fidget toys were originally created to help develop fine motor skills in kids with autism and other special education needs. Now a new range of fidget spinners has been invented for stressed-out office workers who might otherwise bite their nails down to the bone or drive colleagues mad with endless pen clicking and actually that reminds me I had this clip I wanted to play Fidget Cube is a cube that you fidget with (laughs) Studies have suggested that fidgeting increases focus and improves productivity. Side effects may include a sudden ability to cope with boring meetings pay attention in class power through Netflix marathons I only laughed because of the cadence of the <laughs> of the narrator there. I know it's that, well it's it's acting like it's uh the, the video Public is framed PSA. like a like a PSA or for a, a prescription drug or what have you. Right. That fidgeting will is the prescription you need. So uh, this new range of fidget spinners has been invented for uh, workers who get bored or drive colleagues mad with their pen clicking, but some schools are now banning these toys. One greater school in Manchester sent a message to parents explaining that the gadgets are a distraction to learning and they can be dangerous. And any fidget spinners seen in school will be confiscated. So you're better at describing this kind of stuff. What do, You know what this looks like to me? This looks like a Phyllis Shave razor. It looks like a Phyllis Shave razor head. You're 100% with maybe an extra circle in the middle, right? Because there's three on the outside, one in the middle, and they look to have like sealed ball bearings in each one of the the three sections that look like the shaver. And so, which means you can kind of, you can put it between your forefinger and your thumb or maybe any one of your fingers and your thumbs, and you can kind of move it back and forth. I don't know if that's a horn in the middle of that thing, but it looks like it might be a squeaky toy. I, it probably isn't, but it looks like it could be. And so there's a little bit of weight to these things as well. Yeah. So, so I, I could see how they could be dangerous, like almost like a Chinese throwing star. Yeah. <laughs> they won't that's like right. stab you, but they, they probably fly pretty good. Yeah, you're right. Actually, if you were to whip that across the room, that could be dangerous, I suppose. Although anything could be dangerous, really. Of I could throw a pen across the room. Well, didn't James Bond kill someone with a big pen once? And John Wick killed uh, kills people quite effectively with pencils. So if you've watched those movies with Keanu Reeves. Uh, Troy says, my son's teacher gave my son chulery to bite on while he is in class. It's a rubber necklace thing. Interesting. 
Ryan H. says, click pens are the worst. <laughs> Sent a follow-up text that just says, click, 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 click. Like this, Ryan? <laughs> this one isn't as clicky as some Chulery, of the Jewelry. That's an interesting one. I was never a biter. Well, that actually, I confessed to biting the pens. So I guess I was. A biter as well? Yeah, a biter as well. Well, I yeah, I just I think that fidgety or fidgeting for me it it helps me focus on whatever I'm doing. In in school, I don't do it anymore, but I used to be the guy with the shaky leg. Yep. With the oh, even I'm just doing it right now and it's actually relaxing me. I'm trying to remember, I think it was Chuck LaFleche who used to sit in this chair. While we were doing the health report. Yep. And if you got the wrong chair, because as many of you have noticed by now, we have some chairs that squeak a little bit more than others. <laughs> if you got the wrong chair, it could be a little distracting on the air. Okay. For listeners, myself, <laughs> and for our guests. Hey, listen, thanks for the feedback. Oh, and Kristen has followed up. She says, yes, she plays solitaire while watching TV or the blocks. Can't do either at the movie theaters, though, so I usually pass out every time I go. I rate films by their ability to keep, keep me, awake. me awake. Kristen, it sounds like you might have a problem with, uh, what narcolepsy? is that, narcolepsy. Yes, <laughs> you might want to get that checked out. Uh, it is coming up to 2.30, which means it's... Just about time for Carolyn Clausen, who's going to join us after Global News up next. 2.34. Carolyn Clausen is here, therapist with Connexus Counseling, connexuscounseling.ca. Before we get on to our main topic of conversation, Carolyn was listening to our fidget toy <laughs> discussion. And we're right, I guess. The pen has always been the de facto fidget toy for certain generations. Yeah, I told you that fidget toys have long been used. We've been fidgeting with various things for generations. That's what office supplies are for, I think. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Of course, uh, you disassemble the uh, paper clip and straighten it out or change its form and function, turn it into art. Right. I turned it into a weapon. We used to work at the, (laughs) we did the student program at the taxation center on Stapon. And we would, we would bend the, the paperclip sort of make it a bit longer. And then we would put it, uh, we'd use a, like a slingshot on a big elastic and we would launch them across the room. Oh, that sounds super safe. Yeah. Very safe. Mm -hmm. We were, uh, smart young individuals. That could take out an eye. Oh, I'm sure I could do more than that. Yeah, we weren't. We were, luckily we weren't actually shooting those at each other. Just okay. the elastics. Okay. <laughs> so before we move on to today's formal topic, what's better than the old-fashioned, you know, improvised fidget, fidget toy or these formalized fidget toys? Well, I think the formalized fidget toys have been profoundly validating for people all over the world who have always found it necessary to validate, and people have been grabbing their pens out of their hand, and this is a product that says this makes sense. It's an okay thing to do, and so there's an element of validation in the fidget toy. How I see it, though, is that, um, and I, I told you about this in the break before, where I didn't buy my children gun toys to play with because I wanted them to not have toys that were specifically for the purposes of destruction. But I was very aware that my toy, my children built guns out of Lego and used Barbies bent in a certain way as guns and you know, chewed their toast in certain ways to look like. There was lots of guns in our house that they had made. But at the end of it, they would change them back. And so they had the flexibility to use something in a certain way. And when they didn't need it anymore, it could be for more than one purpose. And so they could just naturally let it go. And I think when you use pens and paper clips as fidget toys, you use them in that way when you need them. And then at some point, that pen just becomes a pen again. And you can naturally let go the need for fidgeting as your brain matures and develops. And I think that there's something to sort of allowing yourself to fidget without formalizing the fidgetness. 
you well you mentioned as your brain you can let the fidgeting go as your brain matures and develops so what happens when you're say i don't know 39 years old <laughs> and you still fidget all the time then you fidget. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I, what, what, what we don't know, and we'd have to ask somebody who has known you for all those years, is has your fidgeting changed in format and style and content over the years? Is it a, Can it be fluid uh, so that you fidget in the way that's most helpful for you rather than what the, what the object in front of you, what it demands, how it demands to be fidgeted? Now, we didn't expect you to be such an expert on this because you're an expert on so many things. Why do we fidget? Well, I think fidgeting is a form of self-soothing and self-calming, right? It's a way of sort of having some of the overflow of energy. Um, I'm not a fidgeter, but I remember very much being able to listen to stories much better when I could color as a kid. Um, when I was coloring, I could listen to the story and it just it just was very soothing. And so I think fidgeting is a part of self-regulation. It's a part of doing what we need to do in order to make ourselves feel okay. Because I, I said to Brett, I said that, that seems counterintuitive, right? One of my boys, he's doing all this other stuff, and it's like, are you listening over there? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then you quiz him on it, and it's like, he's got it down he cold. Was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and so in some ways, fidgeting kind of allows for a little bit of an overflow of energy to allow the focus to remain on whatever the other person is talking with. Fidgeting can be remarkably effective for some, but not nearly for everybody, and the fidget toy seems to imply that fidgeting is good for everybody always, and I don't think that's the case. All right. We can move on. Happy anniversary. Happy wedding anniversary to you. Thank you. To you and husband. (laughs) Me and husband. That's right. He even signs on your blog when he makes comments on your blog. Wasn't that cute? Husband. (laughs) We we like that. We like the way you speak about one another. So the blog post is is called We're a Pair of Levi's. You can find this blog at connexuscounseling.ca. Why a pair of Levi's? Well... I looked up second wedding anniversary because I was trying to think of, you know, what sort of ideas should I have as we, to celebrate. And it's the second anniversary, you know, like the silver anniversary is silver, right? 25th. Gold is 50. Second is cotton. Um, and cotton is about being strong and durable and flexible and adaptive. And I just, like, I kind of thought Levi's, like... You know, I like the idea of being a pair of Levi's because I'm not like a super formal person, but who doesn't love a pair of Levi's that you've worn for a long time that stand the test of time? And the longer you wear Levi's, the more comfortable they become. And I think in its best in its best um, version of it, relationships are something that grows stronger and more comfortable over time. And that doesn't mean that they look newer and newer, right? They get worn and they get holes, but that doesn't make them worse. That just makes them more lived in and more beautiful. Oh, it makes them way more beautiful, mm-hmm. right? Uh, there's nothing like a, a, a worn-in pair of jeans and Levi's with the button fly. Hello, you're speaking my language. <laughs> Is it the 501s or the 508s? I can't remember the ones that have the button fly. But the, you know, the, the real message here is that you've become a pair and maybe the two of you together are genuinely as one. You, you yeah. know, jeans are one of those weird things. Like it's a pair of jeans, but it's one. It's one. It's yeah. kind of an odd uh, idiotism, I think. But uh, it is what it is. And so here you are together. You you make the perfect pair of jeans. Is that kind of where we're coming from here? Yeah, and not even perfect, but perfect for us, right? It fits right. for us, and it's been good for us. And and these are a pair of jeans that have grown very comfortable. Um, but they've also, you know. What do you wear when you go out and work in the fields or when you go and do hard work? You wear your jeans, right? You don't wear them to the banquet. You wear them for regular, everyday, real life. And I think that's what marriage is. is it's Marriage isn't, you know, the weekend, Friday night celebration when you dress all up. Marriage is the day-to-day getting up in the morning, do what you need to do. 
Um, jeans are what you wear for the work of life. And um, I think in its best expression, that's what marriage is. So in your blog post, you uh, there, you go on to say here, the honeymoon is over. And it, it, at first, you, because it's in larger letters and it's in bold, you might think that that is ominous. But it's not necessarily a bad thing. Well, in this blog, it was actually a celebration that the honeymoon is over because, um, you know, during the honeymoon, everybody puts their best foot forward and it's all shiny and beautiful because everybody's trying to make it perfect. And part of what I loved about the honeymoon is over. Now at two years, we're not putting our best foot forward. We're putting our only foot forward, our real foot forward. And there's a comfort and a beauty to that. I think it still means about being conscientious and about being gentle and kind and giving towards each other, which I also write about. But there's something about the honeymoon being over that says now we're into the real living of this. And it's um, the real living of marriages for married people. That's what it's all about. How many, so you're, this is now sort of, you, you've merged families, yeah? Mm-hmm. How many kids are there now in the So family? we have five children all together, uh, f- five originals, and we've added two since because uh, we've had a couple of weddings last summer. Uh, and so we have this crew of seven along with an odd sort of, you know, significant others as well. And so uh, every time when we have family dinner, we always have to count on our fingers how many to set for because, you know, extras come along occasionally. It's kind of this, um, we, we call ourselves two families who are also one family. And so sometimes we're very much one family where we all gather around the table together. And sometimes we do a two families where he'll go off and do one thing with his biological kids and I'll go off and do another thing with my biological kids because I've known my biological children all their lives and I it's just a different sort of relationship than the ones that I've been bonus parenting for the last two years. So anniversaries, these are milestones that uh, we celebrate publicly in a lot of cases, um, but is it up to other people to... Wish us a happy wedding anniversary. I, you know, Jackie and I will get anniversary cards typically from uh, my baba, my nanny, and my mother and father-in-law. And that's about it. Is it really an internal celebration or is this something where we should be inviting others to re-celebrate this special day? Uh, It seems a little bit different. Wedding anniversaries and birthdays seem to be a little bit different the way outsiders might view them. You're right, I think. I think often at birthdays are a time where people really rally around, and certainly on Facebook you get notified when it's somebody's birthday, but I don't think you get notified when it's their anniversary. <laughs> so even that's sort of a cultural, um, you know, concrete example of, of what you've just said. Um, I think anniversaries are neat to celebrate as a couple for sure, and I think um, often those major ones, the 25 and 50 and 60, you know, the Queen and Um, Prince Philip in England, they're celebrating 70 this fall, I think. Like, that's kind of cool for the rest of us who are much further, you know, less along on the same road to see people that have been married and to sort of hear them reminisce and to talk about what worked and what didn't work because I think there's wisdom there that I love to gain and I'd much rather learn from somebody else's mistakes rather than making them all myself. And I think um, anniversaries give a chance to reflect and to remember in a way that is good for all of us if we have a chance to share and to listen to the stories. Maybe uh, I can get you a, a card, Greg, uh, if they if they change the tone to be like, congratulations, you're still together. Yeah. You, haven't, yeah. you don't hate each other. Well, I always ask when uh, when I was in the restaurant <laughs> business, when I was in the restaurant business and people would be celebrating a, a wedding anniversary, I, I would always, my go-to joke was, so is that in a row? Is that consecutive years? Mm-hmm. And because, let's face it, I think I've mentioned my favorite piece of wedding advice comes from all in the family. 
when uh, Edith tells Gloria that the key to their marriage, her and Archie's marriage, is the fact that they, in her words, ain't never been out of love with one another at the same time. Okay. Isn't that beautiful, right? It really is. Yeah. And I think so often um, I have a friend who talks about marriage, um, the commitment in, in, in the, the love in a marriage is kind of like being at the beach where sometimes the waves pull back and you don't feel like you feel like it's receding, but you can count on there's another wave coming if you hang in there long enough. And so I think when the, the story you tell is that when one when the when the waves alternate between husband and wife, then you can stay connected. Right. When you trust that when at least one of you is in there and able to work on the long haul and that one of you is able to do the heavy lifting when the other can't contribute to the same level for whatever reason um, that that there's really something beautiful about writing out the rough times and then being able to reflect on how did you get through those rough times and how can you hold on to that and bottle it and use that for the next rough time that comes again. And it doesn't mean that it's a bad marriage or that you made a mistake when you have a rough time. It means you're human and that rough times are a part of life. Going to continue our conversation with Carolyn Clausen, a therapist with Connexus Counseling, talking about her blog post, which is headlined, We're a Pair of Levi's. You can find that on her website, connexuscounseling.ca. More of our chat after your forecast, which is up next. 2.50 on a Thursday afternoon. That means Carolyn Clausen is in the house. She's a therapist with Connexus Counseling, connexuscounseling.ca. We're talking about two years of marriage and how that looks like just a beautiful pair of Levi's, a comfy <laughs> pair of Levi's for Carolyn and husband. Husband, yes. Uh, yeah, so we've been married two years, which is sort of funny because most of our friends, they're kind of coming up to their, you know, 25th or 30th. <laughs> um, and we, we're we still relatively newlyweds. But I think um, people that at our age that have been married only two years have had other ways in which they have lived their lives. And um, it kind of... It changes the way people are married. The sec- second time, I think it's sweeter, and you you just take things more gently and more preciously than you did the first time around when you just took it for granted. The first time for you, uh, not well, yeah, not to get super personal, but why mm-hmm. did it? What happened there to bring the marriage to an end? Well, there was just things in his life that made being married to me completely incompatible. And so with really without any discussion or processing with me, he just he left because that was something he felt he had to do. Uh, and so uh, my life changed dramatically um, overnight, very quickly, uh, without really any of my input. And then in your in husband's case, his circumstance for his marriage coming to an end was a little bit different. Yeah, she had a six year um, journey with breast cancer. Uh, and there was sort of a brief period in the middle there where um, she was just on um, meds and they were kind of hoping it had gone away and then it came back with a vengeance. And um, it was a rough go for half a dozen years. And I was good friends, good acquaintances, certainly. She was somebody that I would visit with periodically when I would our kids would be playing together in gyms. And I knew her. I went to her funeral and uh, I could I watched her get sicker and sicker and I watched him be faithfully supportive and loving towards her. And so um, as he and I fell in love, one of the reasons why I just fell in love with him was because I could see how beautifully he had walked with his first wife through cancer and I could see how faithful and loyal and loving he was. And I just instinctively knew that for me as a person who had gone through a really traumatic ending of a relationship and was wondering if I could ever trust anyone again, I could see that this man was deeply and profoundly trustworthy And um, what that did then was realize that even as we got married and he loved me, that there was a part of him that still missed and cared about her and certainly, um, you know, was recognizing the wrongness of his 
children not having their mom to finish raising them as everyone would have liked as their first choice, right? And so part of being his wife is making sure that she gets honored um, and that he has space to miss her. He still goes to Widower's Club. We've talked about that before, mm-hmm. uh, where he can hold the grief for her and his love for me at the same time. They don't have to be in competition. We don't have to pretend she never existed. Uh, we still have her pictures up in the family areas because that she's a part of their kids' lives and the kids need to be able to see her up. And so I wrote in the blog, one of the things that seems a little odd, but really oddly right, is that as we're sitting in the dining room and we're having dinner, I look up and I see a picture with, he's giving her a peck on the cheek. And so there is a picture every day where we eat, where I live, um, my husband is kissing another woman, but it's right. There's something profoundly right about it in a way that if you tried to explain it to somebody without understanding the context, it would just be weird. For a lot of people, it's conflicting values. It doesn't make sense. Uh, uh, and and moving on means moving away from your past life. And I know that you celebrate milestones in a very special way in your family, whether it's with with your bonus kids or your, your – what, you, what do you call your, your – uh, I don't want to call them natural kids because I know you don't call them that. What do you call? <laughs> well, what? I have biological children and bonus children. Okay, so your biological, you have some really neat ways that you mark different milestones. And I know that husband also, you give him the freedom to to mark certain anniversaries and and points in time within the year that don't necessarily have anything to do with your your previous uh, or your current life together. Yes, I I. I think in the you know there in times gone past we sort of felt like we had to move on and pretend the past never existed in order to be able to be fully present in the future in the fully present in the now and to not dishonor me he would have to forget any existence of her and sort of not have any acknowledgement that she was around for a quarter of a century in his life that just seems weird uh, and I think what we're realizing is that people can hold more than one feeling which might seem contradictory but actually aren't. He can love her and the life they had together, and he can very much love me now. And those, I don't have to be threatened by who she was and what she meant to him. I can celebrate that and appreciate that because really it carved him into the husband that he And he's an awesome husband. He's so considerate and so thoughtful. And I think walking with her through cancers it made him that way. And so I'm profoundly grateful for the influence that she had on his life. And so I wouldn't want to in any way diminish or dishonor the role that she had in his life and that she has in the children's lives that I am now helping to raise. You talked about the, you made the comparison to the waves, that sometimes the waves recede and you kind of think, well, maybe maybe it, 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 it's gone. It's not coming back. But if you just hang in there, in i.e. in marriage that another wave will come. Have you experienced any of these feelings yet in your... I mean, it's still in its infancy, two years. If you're asking me if I've never been pissed off at him... um... (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that's exactly what Brett is asking. (laughs) Part of what I think I like about us is that um, we are safe enough to have disagreements and not be on the same page at times and still know that ultimately we are on the same page, that we are deeply committed to each other and that even when I don't understand his behavior or I disagree with it or I'm confused by it or we're frustrated over how we approach something that's different, we we can trust and know that we're going to hang in there and we're going to figure it out. And it might not be tonight because we might be too tired to have a rational conversation to finish this properly, but I'm going to fall asleep with my head on your shoulder and tomorrow morning when we're both refreshed, we'll go at it again and we'll figure it out because we know that underneath whatever little storm we're dealing with, underneath there's a foundation that neither of us are going anywhere. 
Carolyn Claussen is a therapist with Conexus Counseling. The website is conexuscounseling.ca, where you can read her latest blog post called We're a Pair of Levi's, talking about her two years with husband. Global News at 3 o'clock is up next. Hi, Daddy. You were supposed to call me when you left. There's someone here. What? Oh, my God, they got Amanda. They got me. All right, listen to me. Go to the next bedroom, under the bed. Tell me when you're there. Thank you. Now, the next part is very important. They are going to take you. Yeah, I've not been able to watch any of those movies. Really? Oh, no, man. The first one's amazing. Second one, not so much, and I haven't bothered with the third one. Yeah, that's uh, gripping stuff. Uh, that's Liam Neeson and I guess his daughter, right? Yes. In a scene from uh, the original film, Taken. And we're playing this because of a story out of New Westminster, British Columbia. It's uh, sort of Hollywood North, maybe not as much as it used to be, but they still make a ton of Hollywood uh, films in the lower mainland. And a sandwich shop in New Westminster is proving that even an A-list actor can't resist the lure of free food. Alex Jordan, who is a spokesman for Big Star Sandwich Co., says staff heard about a movie filming in the area and decided to put a sign outside the restaurant on Tuesday that said Liam Neeson eats here for free, hoping the action hero would stop by. <laughs> and Jordan says hours later, he did. One of the uh, one of the employees was making sandwiches, and the guy on the counter said, you know, holy <laughs> Liam Neeson. And, uh, you know, they, they all look up, and sure enough, he's there, and he walked up, and he, um, he said uh, in his taken voice, Where's my sandwich? <laughs> You're employing a particular set of skills to demand a sandwich. He says that Neeson posed for photos, but he didn't actually stop to eat. He's in BC filming something called Hard Powder, where he plays an honest snowplow driver whose son is murdered by a local drug kingpin. So the film previously made headlines when Parks Canada denied crews permission to film in Alberta's mountains, saying there were concerns ah, yes. about the plot which features an indigenous gang leader. So um, the staff are hoping that he's going to come back for a bite while he's in town, perhaps to sample even a new feature sandwich that they've named after him. And that's because apparently it has a lot of beef, a one-two punch of bacon and hickory sticks and spice that will get revenge on you tomorrow. (laughs) (laughs) Hickory sticks. That's interesting. interesting. Yeah, I wonder if it's... I'm, I'm imagining it's not the actual old Dutch... Hickory sticks. I'm imagining you're correct, which are really just uh, potato chip scraps, I think, that they tried to figure out a way to to remarket. I love those hickory sticks. Oh, Jackie loves them too. Hey, you know what? I didn't even think about this until about five minutes ago when I said, yeah, let's go with the Liam Neeson thing. Okay. Back when uh, my brothers and I owned our restaurant out in uh, Vernon, BC, it was called Zappiano's. It was a Italian pasta bar. And Tori Spelling was filming a a movie up at Silver Star, which is the ski resort just outside of Vernon, very secluded. And so she did a meet and greet with a few people in town and happened to know a few people, got my brothers into a line. So they got her autograph, et cetera, et cetera. Well, in our restaurant, we had soccer jerseys were our uniform. Well, everyone was named Tony just for fun. Okay. I was T-O-N-Y. My brother Kevin was was silent K-T-O-N-Y. Uh, my younger brother was more into hip 
hop. So he was like uh, Tony, and we had all these different variations on Tony. And we had the Tony Wall of Fame, famous Tonys. And we had pictures on the wall. They'd never been to our restaurant, but, you know, it kind of had that Kalekas's kind of feel to it. It's like, look at all these people. Been No, no. These are just people named Tony. <laughs> okay. Well, Tony and Tori are pretty close. Yep. So for the week or so that she was filming, we changed our names on our jerseys to Tori. We just replaced all the ends with ours. And, of course, our feature meal for the week was chicken cacciatore. <laughs> okay. And uh, that reminded me of our little interaction with the time that Tori Spelling didn't come to our restaurant. But she did sign one of our menus, and we did have it framed and on on display. Well, how did you get her to sign the menu? My brothers met her. Oh, okay. She had a little bit of a meet and greet up at the up at the hill. So that was the time that she did not come to Zappianos. Well, that's too bad. Yeah, it is too bad. Uh, by the way, Hickory Sticks are, I, I, I said they were Old Dutch. They're a hostess brand. Of potato chip. Just got to make sure. They don't, they don't, Old Dutch doesn't make hickory sticks. Apparently it's a hostess thing. So just had to clear that up. All right. Fair enough. Want to get the brands mixed up. Traffic, uh, by the way, uh, things are looking uh, decidedly okay. No crashes, no stalls so far. Stratford, Stafford going to be reduced to one lane in each direction. Boy, this won't be bad. Uh, sewer de- repairs from uh, Weatherden Avenue to Grant beginning after rush hour today until next week, Wednesday. If you have a traffic tip, give us a call, 204-781-1320, or shoot us a text at 780-6868. Don't forget the 204. And we'll have full traffic details with Casey Gibbs in two minutes just weather habits they're hard to break they are hard to break it's like a like a robot just automatically belching out the traffic weather is it it anchorman where they uh, pull the trick on ron burgundy and put all sorts of gobbledygook in the teleprompter and he just reads whatever they put in there that's right he just reads whatever's in front of him eventually telling san diego to gfy so (laughs) What could have possibly gone wrong with that situation? Uh, Is it prize time? Sure, let's give some stuff away. Two more tickets, and as it turns out, it's our final pair of tickets for the Winnipeg Wine Festival. You don't say. How dare you? Well, apparently we're doing something different tomorrow. We are doing something different tomorrow. So we'll uh, learn what that is tomorrow. But we have our final two tickets for the Winnipeg Wine Festival tasting event at the convention center this Saturday from 1 to 4 p.m. To win the prize, you must identify the movie that goes with this clip. And this should be a slam dunk, but you never know. Here's the clip. And if they want to drink Merlot, we're drinking Merlot. No, if anybody orders Merlot, I'm leaving. What film was that? 204-780-6868. Can you play it again? And if they want to drink Merlot, we're drinking Merlot. No, if anybody orders Merlot, I'm leaving. 204-780-6868. Sounds like a double date scenario or something. Blind date scenario, perhaps. I think you might be on to something. Okay. Hmm. 204-780-6868. If you know the number, or if you know what film that is associated with that clip, give us a tech, or no, give us a call. Don't text us. Man, I am just completely discombobulated right now. I, did I distract? I distracted you with my distracting text message. I don't know. What's I got going on. I got a bad I got bad news over text message. I shouldn't have been looking at my phone, and so now my distraction has turned into yours. I apologize. <laughs> it has nothing to do with that. I just tripped over myself. Uh, B Rad, by the way, has just texted to say that Old Dutch is shoestrings. Okay, B Rad, I trust you, bro.
Thank you for clarifying that. I would take either or, uh, but I always like to go with Old Dutch if I can. You know what's better than hickory sticks, though? Come on. Do we have a couple minutes? Yep. Those frizzled onions that you get at the keg with your steak. Okay. If you ask them real nice, you can have a little bit of extra on the side. Okay. You know what I, the ones yep. I'm talking about? I don't like big, stringy, fat, like A&W onion rings don't really do it for me. Okay. I like more, like I like the batter, yep. you know, surprise. I like the batter, <laughs> not so much the onions, but the onion strings that they uh, put on your steak at the keg. Oh my gosh. Well, you can the, buy those. The French is yeah, but those are like those are dried out. I love these are like fresh. They're oh, warm. Okay. That's oh, so good. But yeah, I don't mind those. I don't like the mind those ones out of the, the out of the bag. Throw them on a salad or something like that. Yeah, those are pretty good. That's actually something maybe I should throw on a salad. Mm-hmm. I like the sound of that. Don't you have to have a salad first? That's what I'm going to have for dinner tonight. Are I like you to, really? Yeah, a I, big I, salad. Big salad, Elaine Bennis style. Just a big <laughs> salad. In a blue bowl. We you cut the head of lettuce like just in half and then just, <laughs> I, I can just see your version of a big salad. <laughs> Imagine this head of lettuce, you taking like a machete <laughs> to cut it in half okay. and just kind of throwing what one half of the he- lettuce head in a bowl and then just kind of tossing in a variety of other things, tomatoes, maybe some cucumbers, some blue cheese dressing, some croutons, some cheese, and boom, you're done. Kind of like a great big wedge blue salad. Blue cheese dressing? What kind of fancy restaurants do you go to? You don't like blue cheese dressing? <laughs> I don't know if I've ever had blue cheese oh, dressing. So good. But no, that's not the kind of dressing that I... That's funny, though. What would be even funnier if it was... I thought you were going to say, cut the lettuce in half, yeah. put it in a bowl, put some ranch dressing on it, and voila. <laughs> well, I, that's what I wanted to say, but, you know, I'm more polite than that. <laughs> Generally speaking. I think that would have been fantastic. Oh, we have a winner already for wow. the Winnipeg Wine Fest. Come See, on. I figured it would be quick. Valerie Popovich, congratulations. You were able to successfully identify the film that goes with this clip. And if they want to drink Merlot, we're drinking Merlot. No, if anybody orders Merlot, I'm leaving. You are going to the Winnipeg Wine Festival this Saturday afternoon from 1 to 4 p.m. at the Convention Center because you named the film. It is from 2004. It's a movie that's pretty much entirely about wine. It's called Sideways. I am not drinking any f***ing Merlot. Okay, okay, (laughs) relax, Miles. Jesus. <laughs> Paul Is that Giamatti? that one where Paul Giamatti, right, right, right. What, they go to wine country or something at some sort of coming of age? Don't they split up with respective girlfriends or something? Something along know. those lines, yeah. And he does. he's not a fan of Merlot. He's a, I, believe, I don't know if he's a sommelier, but he's He's heavy, a wine snob, for yeah, sure. Heavy into wine, and he doesn't like Merlot. So that's one of my favorite Paul Giamatti lines. Just what does so he say? Intense. What does he say? If, oh, if, we'll play if, it again. I am not drinking any f- Merlot. Okay, okay. <laughs> Relax, Miles. If anybody's drinking Jeez. Merlot, he's going to leave. He's getting up and he's walking out the door. Yeah, sideways. Somebody got it on text here. Oh, a whole bunch of people got it on text here. Yeah. Surprise, surprise. Hey, we've come to a threshold. We'll tell you what that threshold is. I'm going to pull a Julie Buckingham on you. I'm going to I'm going to hook our next story at 3:35. We've come to a tipping point, a threshold with technology that I wasn't sure we'd ever make it to. We'll tell you what that is around 3.35. In the meantime, your forecast is coming up next. 3.38. Clouding over a little bit, but still gorgeous. I don't know how windy it is. What's a wind out there? Looks like a perfect night to go to the driving range, I think. Wind from the west at 5 kilometers per hour, gusting up to 27. Now, that's manageable.
Yeah, I'll take it. I think I know what I'm doing after supper. Hey, um, <laughs> Jeff just texted me. He said, hey, hey, Greg, you're a foodie. Remember Green Jeans Restaurant? That was at uh, Eaton Place. It's where Boston Pizza is now. Oh, wow. At City Place. They had a salad with warm dressing. It was awesome. What type of dressing was it? Jeff, I don't remember, but I've posted it to my personal Facebook page where there are a ton of former Winnipeg restaurant workers, so I may have an answer for you, or we might get it right here, right now at 204-780-6868. Shoot me a text if you remember the big salad at, at Green Jeans and that warm dressing, what flavor it was. Uh, you mentioned in the news, yes. the topic we were going to discuss right now, this threshold in American society, a technological threshold, I imagine we would call it, for the first time ever, according to U.S. government study released Thursday, 50.8% of homes and apartments had only cell phone service in the latter half of 2016. It's shocking. The first to a time, extent. The first time such households attained a majority in the survey um, Braswell and her family. Now, this is uh, Deborah Braswell, who is a university administrator in Alabama. She's a member of a dwindling group, people with a landline phone at home. She and her family are part of the 45.9% that still have landlines, and the remaining households have no phone service at all. So, 50, so the majority of Americans, just by a hair, now lean towards cell phones as opposed to a landline. This kind of kind of makes me sad in a way. I mean, I'm not surprised at all, but it still kind of makes me sad. And, and I don't know. I think that's just the radio guy in me that it makes me sad because it's as uh, I remember being Charles Adler's producer, begging people for landlines when I would call them and I'd say, is this your cell phone? Because you could hear them cutting out. And uh, you're talking about uh, guests that would join via telephone versus yeah. being in studio. So you call people on the phone, they're on their cell phone. And you would, I'd be begging them for a landline and more and more people would say, no, I don't even have a landline. So I will miss that, but I don't have a landline at home. You'd like to have one though. Occasionally. I don't make a ton of phone calls. I avoid the phone where I, where possible, but sometimes I got to call a cab or there was an instance where I had to call Revenue Canada to deal with the situation and making that phone call from my home on Cordon and River Heights is a challenge because the cell service sucks in the neighborhood. And in my apartment, which I'm convinced is a lead box, is even worse. So, And it's it's even worse in the summertime. And I, I have no scientific knowledge of this, but it seems worse in the summertime. And if I had to guess, it was because of the canopy of trees that completely envelope that whole area. So... Yeah, we need that extra cell tower. Yeah, I, I'm I'm surprised that it took so long. When I said I was surprised, I'm surprised it took this long to get here. But I, we still have a landline. I like the idea of having that fallback in case uh, the other systems go down. And I think a lot of people only have landlines because of their house alarm. And of course, the house the, the house alarm companies have now pretty much all of them have a wireless option where you're not obligated to have a landline in order to have a home alarm, but I think that's a big reason why we still have one. So We have a text here that says our house has a landline for only one reason. It makes our cable cheaper. So I guess it's oh, cheaper to clump in the, bundle. the landline, then it drops the overall price. That's interesting. Jeff, 
You're going to be excited here. I knew it. The power of our listeners. It was hot bacon dressing at Blue Jeans. Green Someone, Jeans. Did I say Blue Jeans? Yes. Oh, that's another place. We're talking about Carolyn Claussen's uh, <laughs> blog. I'm talking about Blue Jeans. Oh. That was the bar before the Palomino Club at the corner of Minto and Portage Avenue. <laughs> oh my that's God. where I had my first picture of Long Island iced teas. That was a night and a half. Uh, hot bait. Yes, at Green Jeans at uh, the old Eaton Place. I have the receipt. Says so there the you go, solicitor. Jeff. There you go. Uh, I hope that means I have the recipe. If you have the recipe, gmac at cjob.com. Well, and here's a plot twist from Darcel, who just texted to say, the salad is a warm spinach salad. Oh, come on. <laughs> Super awesome. Have the recipe at home. Okay. And Kristen just uh, forwarded a, a recipe here. Green jeans, spinach salad. Is it possible that they had two? It's, maybe it's possible that it was a spinach salad. And the dressing was hot bacon dressing. Maybe. Well, let's see. Kristen just forwarded us a, a link here for the recipe. Mr. Green Jeans Spinach Salad Recipe and Warm Dressing. Yes. White vinegar, granulated sugar, bacon drippings, mayonnaise, and small onion. So there you go. It was a spinach salad with bacon dressing. Jeff, send me uh, your email address and I'll send you the recipe. GMAC at cjob.com. Traffic note, dead truck in the curb lane on eastbound Ellis at Carlton. We'll get full traffic details coming up with Casey Gibb up next. Richard Cloutier's here. Where's your sidekick? She'll be here. Okay. How's your day? Good day? Day's going really well. The I like what the Brandon Police Service is doing. They are proposing... And we've seen this in communities across the country that if you're buying or selling something on Kijiji, for example, that there is a safe transition area. In this case, it's the police parking lot in Brandon. Great idea. And something that I think would do very well here. Um, have you ever kind of been involved in a transaction that just kind of went a little sketchy on you? No, not really. But we did. We had a, a about probably an hour-long conversation about Kijiji process and different uh, ideas on transactions. And we had some really good advice in particular from one listener said, hey, like, don't invite these people over to your house. No, you have a safe site. You go to a Tim Hortons or something like this. Well, uh, we'll be joined by the deputy, Brandon Police Chief, a little bit after the four o'clock news here. Great idea. And I spent some time earlier this week with the former mayor, Susan Thompson, talking about the flood of the century and how... 20 years later, some of her thoughts, some of her memories. She tells an interesting story of the conversation she had with the late ABC News anchor, Peter Jennings, who was a Canadian, and the exchange that they had on the telephone. We'll have more on that after your 4.30 news. It's May the 4th be with you. Uh, You know, we we went three hours, three hours without seeing it. Did you just flash me a Star Trek symbol? What was that that you just did there? I did the Star Trek symbol. That was my way of kind of giving you the... Don't whine at me. Three hours. Yes, okay, May the 4th. So I took the quiz to find out what Star Wars character... Yoda. You're Yoda. I'm not Yoda. What are you? I'm not telling right now. Did you now. offer them the quiz? I'll send it to Brett. I'm not sending it to the curmudgeon. I'm not taking it. Good. We don't want you to. And we'll also give away tickets to see Burton Cummings at the Burt. Who, what, who, uh, who, what, where, oh, why? Are you no, doing when, why today? When, when today? today? When today? Why tomorrow? Mm. So lots why of fun not? on the way. 
I want to know what Star Wars character I am, so I look forward to this. What what website is it on? Uh, can't remember off the top of my okay. head. I right. will uh, post it on our Facebook page, and I'll we'll send Brad a personal copy. Thank you, because I just Googled which Star Wars character are you, and there's Play Buzz, there's Zimbio, there's BuzzFeed, Brainfall, Who are you hoping Sea to Breeze, be, Brad? Computers. Who, I don't know. Who are, you, who are you hoping? Who do you wish to be? I don't know. I have a feeling I'll end up being Chewbacca. I've, this one right here? I would have said that, okay. actually. Uh, you know, uh, the city announcing plans that they're going to be studying the next leg of rapid transit. We got one very sarcastic text message that said, uh, why are they building rapid transit to Transcona? Nobody from Transcona goes to university. I spent Ooh. some time. <laughs> How did you feel about that? I'm not from Transcona. Brett is from Transcona. I, I spent some time with one of our regular listeners uh, last year. Uh, riding the bus with him and uh, works at Portage in Maine. A well-educated young man, by the way. From Transcona? Listens to us day in and day out and lives in the heart of Transcona. And that bus uh, that he was on, one of the popular routes, gets very crowded early in the day. And uh, depending on how late he works, it can be a real crapshoot to get home. So if any part of the city needs it, I will defend Transcona to the death, Brett McGarry. Right on, Richard Cloutier. Thank you very much. I you appreciate guys can that. Be friends I'm now. from St. Norbert, so you know <laughs> from we're southwest to northeast. Well, you know it's the it's the fringes of the city, so you get picked on a lot, right? Like I we in so. St. Norbert used to always pick on you guys in Transcona. Everybody then, picks on Transcona, and well, then everybody. they would say, "Hey, you know, I'll see you for a beer at the Knob." I want to go to the Knob. I've never Knob been to the Knob. Knob is great. I just recently, in in a few years ago, went to the Thirsty Lion, which I okay. think is also... Well, you won't go to spin class with me, so I won't buy you a beer at the Knob. <laughs> I'll, wow. buy you, I'll buy you a beer at the Knob. <laughs> I'll buy you a beer, Brad. <laughs> You're no, welcome. it's too late now, Richard. No, no, you guys no. are both welcome. We'll put it on my tab. No oh, problem. He has a tab. Oh, wow. Folks, Richard Cloutier has a tab at the Knob. <laughs> I believe that's an open invitation for by the way, everyone. By the way, what's the word? What's the phrase? Oh, yeah, fake news. <laughs> right. Hashtag fake news. Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham, thank you very much. I started the quiz, Julie, but I abandoned it. I'll do it after. There was too, too many questions to deal with on the air. Yeah, I, I need to take a second to think about this. Uh, which character from Star Wars do you think you would be? I don't know. I like a, I'd like to be Han Solo mm-hmm. or C-3PO. I remember when I was in, I oh boy, what grade would that have been? I guess grade two, one or two. So Return, Return of the Jedi had just come out in theaters, and I wanted to look like Luke Skywalker, so I tried to cut my hair. He had this weird part on his on, on his on his bangs. Yes, so he I did. tried to Emulate do that, that myself, and I mm, cut it. I'm sure that went very well. Yeah, I cut this V in my bangs. I'd have about two days before school pictures. So my mom, of course, was just thrilled with this decision that I had made to try to look like Luke Skywalker. Oh, Brett McGarry. (laughs) Bless your heart. Bless your mother. Should she be listening this afternoon? You were were mostly a good kid, weren't you? But you got into a little bit of mischief. Yeah, I was was a good kid, but uh, sometimes stupid. What grade was that? It was was grade one or two. I can't remember. I want to say, I don't know. We all cut our own hair at some point. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, thanks for listening to Mackling and McGarry today. He's Greg Mackling. I'm Brett McGarry. Thanks to Jeff Fortier, Master Control. The News with Richard Cloutier and Julie Buckingham is coming up next.